Hi everyone. Due to a technical challenge, the original preach recording of 15 October was unavailable to upload to this platform. For those who were at the service and are hoping to revisit the sermon just to get some scripture references or even important points, we've created this podcast format recording to help you do just that. For those who weren't at the service, this may lack a little bit of context um, and maybe even the atmosphere that we experienced on the day, but you're most welcome to stick around and listen as well. At the time of sharing this with the congregation, we were still um, waiting for the France Springboks game that was going to happen a few hours later. And I had to remind them that uh, Matthew 6 says that we shouldn't be anxious for anything. And so we just calmed our nerves for a second. But in hindsight, um, we had a beautiful victory over France, and that's no longer something to be uh, worried about. You know, I counted such an incredible privilege to have absolutely unlimited access to the Word of God. Um, it's that there's so much life in the Word of God, and when read together um, in the Holy Spirit, it, it can only give life. And in the past while, our congregation, George B.M., has really chewed on some meaty food in terms of teaching, preaching, the count of um, following Jesus, and just yeah, the weightiness of the matter. And um, I was so grateful that Last week, Benny brought a preach that really balanced that out a bit and say, uh, talking about the, the joy of following Jesus and, and the joy set before us and that um, um, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this week, um, I'm hoping to build even a, a bit further on that in saying, yes, there's a lot to do and it's a, it's, a, it's a high call, but the Lord is equipping us for the job. And um, yeah, just even in hearing all these things over the last few months, the posture of this congregation truly has been to hear, to adjust, and to advance. And the Lord honors that posture. Now, um, in this sermon, the topic is grace and humility and how those connect. So, not a lot of people know this, but grace, there's more than one side to grace. Not Maybe not more than one type of grace, but it's all grace. But more than one side or outworking of grace. And we'll go into that together just now. Um, but I've titled this message, as you've probably seen in the title now, Grace That Empowers, and we'll explain why in just a moment. Let's dive into some scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5. to This is Peter writing to church leaders and to saints. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight, not only compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you do, and not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfailing crown of glory. Um, now, up until this point in verse 4, he's been speaking to the church, speaking to the, ch- the church leaders, the elders. And now he turns to the congregation and he says, Likewise, from verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. And now he's not only talking here about those who are younger in age, but, but actually um, those who are younger in spiritual maturity um, or even just those who are subject to the, the leaders of the church. Um, so anyone really who, is, who are saints in the church. Um, and of course, here he's talking to the elders themselves as well as he's speaking to all. He says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And just for your own reference throughout this sermon, I'll be referring or quoting from the English Standard Version. 
Now, this very popular portion of Scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Actually, Peter is, um, is quoting from Proverbs here, Proverbs 3.34, where Solomon writes, Towards the scorner, he, that is God, towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Let's just break down that scripture for a moment um, from 1 Peter 5 as 5. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What does that really mean in practice? Now, the first, um, uh, the, the, the four words I want to focus on here is oppose, proud, grace, and humble. And um, I've looked at all the original meanings, um, uh, looking at the way that they were written in Greek. And in some of these, it's, it's quite a vivid image. Now, the first one is God. Uh, opposes. What does it mean to oppose? And some of the um, the meanings that came out from this was to resist, to rage in battle against, to set oneself against. Now, um, the parallel that I drew here was with the uh, the war that's currently going on between Israel and Hamas, uh, the terrorist organization. Um, I saw a speech that was made by the Prime Minister of Israel, and there was a there was a determination and almost an anger in his eyes um, when he told the enemy that they will not stop until this battle is finished. And, and to an, an extent, the image that I saw there was he set himself against, he is raging in battle against. And, and I don't know about you, but when God says he, that he opposes, he rages in battle, he sets himself against, um, I do not want to be at the receiving end of that. Let's move on to the next word, proud. God opposes the proud. So what does proud mean? Proud means arrogant, disdainful, showing oneself above others, overtopping, conspicuous over others, preeminent, with an overweening or overconfident estimate of your own means or merit. I think that was a good explanation. Then grace. What does the word grace mean? Well, it means kindness, means favor, benefit that God bestows upon us. Um, unmerited favor, I've heard many people say, and that's true because we can't do anything to deserve it. And then finally, the word humble. And humble, there's a beautiful, there's a, a few um, ones that we might have heard before, lowly in spirit, um, of low degree. Um, but the, the best one I heard direct, directly um, uh, translating from the Greek, which is tapanois, was not rising far from the ground, which I thought was beautiful. So let's just rephrase all of that from 1 Peter 5, 5 into just everyday language. God sets himself against those who are overconfident in estimating their own means or merits, but he shows favor to those who are low in spirit or those who do not rise far from the ground. And how different is this from our everyday culture that we are facing in the world, in a culture where everyone tries to um, elevate themselves to a higher place? Just to share a little joke with you, there were two pastors sitting in a coffee shop discussing the topic of humility. The one says, I've been praying, fasting, reading the word and studying religion actually for 20 years. And I finally reached the place of humility. I truly am nothing. The other pastor nodded gravely at him and he says, I too have spent my life devoted to serving God. I also am a nothing. And at that moment, a cleaner walked past him with a mop in his hand, overhearing their conversation Feeling quite inspired by what he has heard, he interrupts him saying, you know what? I also am a nothing. The two pastors look away in great disgust. Who does he think he is to be a nothing? And that's the reality 
of humility. Sometimes we don't get it right. It's in our nature to not get it right. Now, the part I really want to focus on tonight is not so much humility, but grace itself. What does it mean if God gives us grace? A.W. Tozer has defined grace as the following. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. And I can so relate to that. We are undeserving. And God gives us grace nonetheless. So we understand that there's nothing we can do to deserve grace at all. But quoting from 1 Peter 5, 5 um, that we just read earlier, there is a way that we can actually disqualify ourselves. And that is by lacking humility. Or living in a way that says, you know what, I've got this. Because God opposes the proud, proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, So that's a big deal. I mentioned earlier that there's more than one meaning or more than one outworking of the subject of grace. And just bear with me as we get a little bit technical just for a moment. I want to distinguish between three types of grace this evening. The first one is common grace. And that really is a gift to all mankind. Everyone receives it the day that we are born. Um, Other words that are used for this is universal grace or even irresistible grace. Why? Because even if you don't want it, um, God still gives it to you. And um, as I've mentioned, this is a gift that's given to all mankind. The day that you're born, um, you are a recipient of this grace. What do I mean by that? Well, the fact that we, you know, the wages of sin is death. And so when a child turns one or two years old and they are disobedient to their parents for the first time, which we know is sin, um, why doesn't God just strike them dead? And I know that's a terrible image. But why? Well, that's the result of common grace. The Lord has given grace um, to sustain us, to give us breath in our lungs, to give us just another day to hopefully get to the point where we choose him. And um, just to back this whole thing of common grace, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, um, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the just and to the unjust. And also from Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all things he has made. Now, that's the first kind of grace, common grace. We all receive it the day that we are born. That's good health. That's the breath in our lungs. Even all of those things are not um, earned in any way, shape, or form. The second kind of grace is saving grace, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, All of us in this room have received the common grace that we've referred to in that we are still sitting here. And the second one is saving grace. Hopefully all of us have received that. And if we haven't them tonight, that might change. So saving grace is a promise um, from God to all those who believe. He offers it when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, acknowledge that we're a sinner, repent of our sins, and um, and turn from, from our ungodly ways. And that's our assurance of eternal life. Reading from Ephesians 2, um, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, before moving on to the third one, let's just quickly read something here from John 19, verses 28 to 30, and and you'll understand why just now. This is talking about Jesus um, at his crucifixion. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
Now, earlier we read from 1 Peter 5 together, and Peter's clearly writing here to believers, people who have already chosen God. Yet he tells them that God will give grace to the humble. And if by God's grace, Jesus died on the cross to atone for our sins, and Jesus said, it is finished, how would God give more grace? The grace was given on the cross, wasn't it? Now, the two English words grace and mercy share a common denominator in Afrikaans. And funny enough, Heinrich Gerber recently mentioned this at our men's prayer meeting that we have on Friday mornings. And, um, and, and exactly that same thing um, came to his mind as well that the Lord's been showing me. That in Afrikaans, um, we've only got one word for it, for mercy and grace, and that's the word genade. Now, in the same way that the word's often um, limited in its translation, it really is also limited in its understanding because we often think of grace only as mercy when really um, mercy is where the common grace comes in and where saving grace comes in. But in these contexts, and in those contexts, gift really, the gift is grace. But there's another kind of grace that we receive. And there, the gift is not grace. It's, sorry, so it's where it's not only the, a gift of grace, but it's also gift through grace or because of grace. Okay, and that brings me to my third kind of grace. Now, anyone who's a theologian listening to this might... Um, um, go crazy because this is not an official recognized terminology within the theological circles. However, this is what's the, 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 the definition that spoke best to me, um, and that is empowering grace. So first we spoke about common grace, then we spoke about saving grace, and now I'd like to tell you about empowering grace. Now this is God's power in us through the Spirit. Let's quickly read from 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, oh yeah, this seems much more a thing of power or influence than what it does, just something that we receive as a gift, doesn't it? So I'm just going to translate that again to a bit more everyday language. So God is able to make all things freely available to you so that having all competence in all things at all times, you may thrive in every good work. How incredible is that? And oftentimes it really feels like there are levels. When the day we're born, there are levels in our walk with God. Yes, we can get born and we'll be recipients of grace. We'll live another day maybe. Um, and then we die and we might not spend eternity with the Lord. Or we can choose Jesus, be the recipients of saving grace, and our spiritual war might end there, in that we would maybe enter heaven just by the thickness of a hair. But there was so much more than just choosing Jesus and submitting our lives um, to him when we said, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner and I choose you. Because um, there's, there's, that's a, to an extent surviving God's judgment. But God wants us to thrive in his kingdom. And that's where this empowering grace comes in. So in summary, we were born into grace in that we lived long enough to come to salvation. Then we were saved by grace in that we had the opportunity to even respond to the gospel, to repent, to be saved. And finally, we are now, or we could now be empowered by grace in that we have the Holy Spirit in us, giving us the power and wisdom to be the Lord's hand, hands and feet in this world. In fact, Jesus said that you will do even greater things than what I did. Now, the various gifts of the Spirit are often referred to as grace gifts because they're an ability to do something in the Spirit as allowed and empowered by God. 
John Piper has described it as this, an inclination in the nature of God. And I sometimes just call it, it's an ability, a God-given ability. God clothes you with that ability. Um, and when John Piper describes it as the inclination in the nature of God, it's important to note that you won't ever move in the spirit um, or by the grace of God and not resemble him. In other words, if God loves to heal, he will use us to heal. If God loves to communicate his heart to people, he will use the prophetic. In other words, the grace gifts operate as a reflection of the character of God. I hope that makes sense. Now, it is so incredibly important that we don't get it mixed up. And what I mean by that is that there's been so many misrepresentations made for grace that we've all heard. And I think um, to an extent, many of us might have made this mistake before. And um, there's been some movements and waves of doctrine that have messed this up completely for some people, um, predominantly the hyper-grace movement. Um, grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. This grace that I'm talking about here is not enabling grace. It's an empowering grace. In behavioral sciences, or even in psychology, enablement refers to patterns within close relationships that support any harmful or problematic behavior and make it easier for that behavior to continue. In other words, it enables a person to continue in the same ways. Um, to give you another analogy, if you have a friend that's struggling with the, um, addiction to alcohol um, and you don't have an issue with that and you feel like you still want to have a drink, it's to go to a bar with that friend. Um, and now you're enabling something. You're allowing him to say, hey, but don't drink, hey? but I'm just going to take one. That's, that's really um, the, like, the, 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 the same kind of thing. Um, grace doesn't enable our ways. It empowers us to rise out of it and to operate in God's power to rise above sin. Now, this is a very important uh, portion of scripture to mention here. Revelation chapter 12, verses uh, 10 to 12. I'm still from the ESV version. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And now this bit. And they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their life, lives unto death. Um, and then it just goes on uh, in verse 12 saying, Therefore rejoice, O heavens. And you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Um, I'll repeat the most famous of these verses, verse 11. They have conquered him, that is the enemy, they've conquered the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus on the cross, and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Now the word, um, now, now the word, the, the testimony, the word of the testimony, it refers to the gospel message and how it changes lives, isn't it? And um, what is that really? Let's check in Romans um, chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. See, a universal victory over sin was obtained by Jesus on the cross. Universal victory over sin. Jesus on the cross. It was done. And as John describes it, yeah, our personal victory over the enemy is twofold. Jesus dying on the cross and hence making us the recipients of that universal grace. 
as well as the outworking of that grace in our everyday lives. So if um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, it's a, if when, we share, um, when we share the gospel or our testimonies, it really is the power of God working us, in us, isn't it? It's the, it's the grace of God. And so we can't afford to just end um, with saving grace. We need to see the Spirit working in our lives to clothe us with this ability that we never had before. Being a follower of Jesus, um, as I recently mentioned, is really mission impossible. When they named that movie or the, that, uh, those movies Mission Impossible, really I think um, they should have known that we might use this for, for a term to describe Christianity because it really is, it's a high call. It's near impossible. And it is impossible <clears throat> because it doesn't come easy or naturally if we're doing it in our own strength at all. It is impossible then. Um, but by Jesus. Everything changes. As a church, we are currently going through the This Is Church series, and it's about building God's church the way that he wants it. And, um, and really, in that, in that sense, we are co-laborers with Christ. But um, I remember in school, there was always this one big rugby player in the team, um, and you, you knew that a lot of your safety depended on this guy. So you could go and look for trouble um, but when the poor poor hits the fan, you need this guy to be your human shield. Um, and, and in that sense, I understood that we weren't equals here. Um, and it feels a bit the same. When we're saying we are co-laborers with Christ in building the kingdom, um, everything has to come from him, doesn't it? It's not about us. It's about our willingness and our hearts and our postures. But Christ is it and his power in and through us. Remember Jesus said, you will do greater things than I ever did, as I even mentioned earlier. And, um, and I think that's where that comes into play. So, we, so we have to, we've established already we can't do anything to deserve grace, but we can do something to resist it. And that's by not being humble. Now, um, I just quickly want to quickly read from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus um, says to Paul here, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And God's saying here yeah, that he works optimally when we're not strong, and that when we are weak, there's grace for us. And that's not something, that's not a backup plan. We have to understand this. He doesn't say, listen, when you can't hold up, when you can't hold the fort, I'll come and intervene. He's encouraging us to, to let go of all our own strength or of all our own ability so that he can start working. Lisa Trout recently shared a story um, that often kids at this, um, the, the tennis place where she was working, um, that they are kids that are naturally gifted and they know this. And so they become so comfortable in their own abilities that they eventually actually stop reaching for more and aiming at even bettering their ability beyond that. Um, and on the contrary, there are kids that come in with no clue and they don't play well at all. But because they are devoted to honing their skill, remain teachable for the coach to teach them, they actually end up excelling so much that they surpass the kids that were once better. And to an extent, that's, uh, it's the comfort of knowing their position that led to their defeat, those naturally gifted ones. Um, but it was the understanding of the lack of their own ability that made the new kids grow so much. And that's an important thing to, to understand. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 
we see that God often even grows us and uses us in areas that we aren't naturally gifted. I've, to, I've shared this with Benny before. I get nervous when I preach because I know I speak easily in front of people. It doesn't give me the shakes. Um, but for that very reason, I always make so sure that I'm speaking only what's from the heart of God. Um, I remember once someone gave me some feedback on, on a preach and they said I, I used a lot of scripture. And I believe them. I actually did use a lot of scripture. Um, but what I realized was I was so, I'm so nervous to tap into any of my own physical or, 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 or actual strengths and abilities. And I want God to be working through me. And it's such an important thing to always to, be, to, to remain cognizant of that. So tonight, I think the big and important call here is, sure, as Christians, technically we can stop at just being safe or or we can become useful in contributing to God's kingdom in ways that are so much and so far beyond our own ability. We can be born again and receive the grace by just being alive. Then we can receive the grace of salvation and forgiveness. But God's calling us to so much more. In 1 Peter 4 verses 7 to 11, we read, The end of all things are at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We are called to live out the kingdom of God on earth and we have His grace freely available to us. So just to finish where we started, I read from 1 Peter 5 verse 5, but just let's read that verse again and, and what happens after that. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What does it say next? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that in the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to, into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself and here comes the important take home for me today. If we humble ourselves, if we do what we have to do, and we trust God that he will give us grace, that we don't shrink back because um, of some false humility, that, but we will actually trust God that he will grace us for the task at hand. Um, verse 10 says, He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Sure. Restore. Confirm, strengthen, and establish us. So, for anyone listening to this, there might be a few things that, that might be going on in your heart. The first thing might be that you might have been prideful and you didn't even know it, and that you thought maybe the Lord, um, the Lord can be your backup when when you are weak. But really, what God wants to do is He wants to be, He wants to grace you with His power from the get go. 
The second group of people might be um, those who have settled for mediocrity. Again, maybe even unknowingly. Saying, Lord, I'm happy to. I'm, I'm actually happy to. The day I got saved, I was assured of my salvation there. But yeah, yeah, there's so much more than just salvation. There's the rewards that come with it. And that's where this thing comes in. When we further the kingdom of God, there's rewards for us that we cannot even comprehend. So, even as Paul says to early, uh, eagerly desire the gifts, I think what the Lord wants to do tonight, um, in this time is, to, is for us to trust Him for that grace and to impart faith into us. So I'd just like to end with a prayer. And although this is not a church service and this recording was done afterwards, I have a lot of faith that the Lord would like to, um, to impart that faith into us. So Lord, thank you so much that you are faithful to respond to our prayers. Thank you that there are, you're a God of second and third and fourth chances. Lord, thank you that your grace is freely available to us and your grace is sufficient for us and that your power is made perfect in our weakness. So Father, would you eliminate any pride, any lack of humility from our lives right now? Lord, even where you've naturally gifted us, Lord, that we will become so unaware of those natural giftings and that we would become so aware of the giver of those gifts and that you would start um, filling us with your grace. Yeah, Lord, if there's any anything inside of us that I've grown um, comfortable with just just making it and not really plowing our lives into the kingdom um, by using these grace gifts, um, Lord, that you would give us um, the faith, the zeal, the passion for your kingdom. And finally, Lord, I ask that you would impart a new sense of faith into each and every one of us, that we would trust you for the work that is at hand. In Jesus' name, amen. During the time of our meeting, there was an incredible response. Uh, we continued into a time of worship, and it was just a beautifully blessed time. So this was really just to um, some notes for those who were there, and maybe anyone who missed it as well. Um, I trust the Lord has blessed you through this, and that um, yeah, He'll continue to empower you by His grace.